Welcome back to the Passive Real Estate Investor Podcast. This is your host, Robert Newstead, and today's episode is going to be talking about the metrics in passive real estate investing that are most important. And the reason we want to do this is that in every single transaction, you need to be looking at deals from the perspective of not only whether they fit your investment thesis, but also whether they fit your personal requirements for cash on cash return, for the internal rate of return, also known as the IRR, and also with the equity multiple. And so in your investment thesis, I highly recommend that you come up with those three numbers of what you are looking to achieve in your financial returns. And then that way, every deal can be seen through that lens. You can use those metrics to say, okay, this, this deal doesn't have cash on cash and it's not going to be getting to the cash on cash I need for some amount of time, or this deal has low cash on cash, but I see it getting up to a certain level and that will improve my returns over time. The overall IRR is fine and the equity multiple is even better. And so you need to be able to look at all of those dimensions of a deal and determine whether you should be investing in that particular deal at that given time. Analysis is hugely important. I continually discuss how you need to be analyzing deals from not only the high level with your overall economics in a city, overall economics and job migration, in migration, population, population growth, crime, things of that nature, you also need to be looking at the real estate and you need to be looking at whether the real estate is obsolete, whether it's functional, whether it is uh, whether it has deferred maintenance, whether there's capex that needs to be done, whether you need to be turning over the property. But in all of those contexts, you also need to be looking at the numbers because at the end of the day, what you want to be investing in is everything that you believe in. You need to be putting your dollars to work in those types of properties, in those types of markets, with those types of returns that you are searching for. You don't have to do every deal. And so a lot of deals cross the desk that don't fit my parameters. And so I don't look at them heavily, but I do really look at the return metrics. And regardless of what type of real estate you're evaluating, you should be looking at these financial metrics as well. From my perspective, the primary return metrics that I'm looking at for passive cash flow deals are cash on cash returns. So cash on cash returns are defined as the amount of income that the property investment is expected to generate after debt service. And then the cash on cash returns are calculated by determining what the distributable cash flow is divided by what your initial equity investment is. So if you've put in $100,000 and you get back 10,000 a year, that is a 10% cash on cash return. We've been seeing cash on cash returns dropping quite a bit over the recent past. And so while a number of my deals are still in the seven to 10, 11% range, I have a couple of deals that have dipped down to about a 5% return. And part of that is just what's happened in the last couple of years with coronavirus in particular. And now that inflation is rearing its ugly head here in May of 2022, uh, we're starting to see that the expenses 
have increased. While we haven't had the same rent growth in every single property uh, that we've had in the past, and so we've had some uh, dilution of our cash on cash return because the NOI has decreased somewhat with you know flat flat revenue and increasing expenses, and so that's something that we're watching very closely. But cash on cash returns are are really calculated by determining what that distributable cash flow is divided by your initial equity. So again. In the range of what you'd expect, if right now you'd probably be expecting somewhere in the 5 to 7% range, there are a lot of properties that are generating even less as people are going out on the risk spectrum a little bit, investing in deep value add deals or obsolete properties that need to be completely upgraded and then released. I've been seeing a lot of deals in the 0% to 3 or 4% range now for cash on cash as well. From my perspective, I will tell you, I really try and only do deals that are going to be generating a 6% or more cash on cash return. And I still want deals with upside potential. So it hasn't been easy to find deals that meet that criteria right now. Uh, But I'm sticking to it regardless, uh, because I do think that it's important to try and meet that. So I wanted to give you a, a simple example of cash on cash. So if you're co-invested in a property that was originally purchased for, let's say, $5 million, and you had a $3 million loan, that means $2 million of equity was invested in the property. If you further assume that you invested 100000 of that $2 million of equity, that would mean that you have 5% ownership in that particular investment because 100000 divided by 2000 is 5%. If you expect the property to generate an 8% cash-on-cash return, that would mean that the distributable cash flow to the entire entity should be 160000 And the way you get that math is by doing $2 million, the original equity invested in the, in the property, times 8%. So $2 million times 8% is equal to 160000 Assuming again that you invested 100000 of that $2 million, that would mean that of the 160000 distributed, you would earn 8000 per year. And how you get that is either 160000 times 5%, or the other way to look at it is $100,000 times 8% since you're expecting to get an 8% cash on cash. And you can also check this by saying your cash on cash return would be 8% if you take $8,000 that you received divided by the 100000 that you invested. And that also is equal to 8%. Cash on cash is a huge metric that I look at because it shows how strong the property is currently. Then what I want to look at is part of the business plan, what the upside potential is, whether whether we're buying the property at well below replacement cost, whether there is a plan to improve the property through financing, through capital expenditures, through refinancing, through partnering, through selling part of the buildings. I wanna look at that plan because the next aspect of the analysis from a financial standpoint that I look at is the IRR. That's also known as the internal rate of return. And the internal rate of return is effectively a time value of money calculation that takes into consideration the net present value of the sum of the cash flows achieved per year, plus any refinance, recapitalization, and or sale proceeds generated at the property 
over that time period that the property was held. Using the same example from before, if you assume that you've held the property for five years and that you generated an 8% cash on cash return, that would mean that you received 40% of your original investment back over the five-year hold just from cash flow. And the way you calculate that is 8% times five is equal to 40%. If during that same time period, we also assume that the property appreciated to $6 million, that would mean that you made gross profit on the sale of 1 million because you originally paid 5 million for the property and you sold it for 6 million. When you receive the one million at the end of the five year hold period, that one million of profit is equivalent to earning 50% on your original investment. And the way you do that is a hundred, is a $1 million of profit divided by the $2 million of equity that you originally put in. And that's half of the equity you put in. The cash flow is 40%, the profit is 50%. So that's 90% on your original investment. And just to be very, very clear, this scenario already assumes that you receive your original equity back of 2 million. And that's because we took the 5 million into consideration when we did 6 million minus 5 million because there was only 3 million of debt. So you're getting back 2 million. And so that money comes back to you as an additional 50% uh, profit. And so that goes into the calculation for the IRR as well. Upon the sale, it means that the entity owning the property earned $160,000 per year for five years. That equates to $800,000 in cash flow. The entity also earned $1 million of profit from the sale. When you add the $800,000 of cash flow to the $1 million of profit, that means that the entity earned $1.8 million of cash flow and profit on the original $2 million invested. You also received your original equity investment back of $2 million back upon the sale. And that means that the partnership actually generated $3.8 million over that five-year hold. And that's the return of your equity plus the $800,000 of, of cash flow plus a million dollars of profit to bring you to a grand total of $3.8 million. With the time value of money, there's a back of the napkin way to calculate the return, but I really do highly advise using Excel to get the exact IRR because Excel takes the periods into consideration. And I also like to do a back of the napkin way to get to an IRR because then it's a fairly good estimate as long as you're pretty close to a full year period. But in our example, if we're using a five-year hold, you get back 3.8 million. If you divide 3.8 million by the original equity investment of 2 million, that equals 1.9, which is also your equity multiple. You subtract one from the 1.9 because the one equals to your original equity investment of 2 million. And so that leaves you with 0.9. Divide the 0 0.90 divided by five because we held the property for five years. And after dividing, you see that that's equal to 0.18. When you multiply that by 100, then you see that your annualized return for that investment was approximately 18%. And so it means you approximately had an IRR of 18%. So that is how you calculate 
an IRR using back of the napkin. It is much more accurate when you use Excel, but still, but this is a very good way to estimate your annualized return, also known as your IRR. Going back to how I said, one of the things I like to look at is a 6% cash on cash return. I also like to look at what my IRRs are. And typically right now, I am looking for IRRs that are 12% or greater on an annualized basis. Now, most of our deals are generating far more than that, but I like the idea of 12% because I feel like I wanna be reasonable. And there are some interesting opportunities that, that you can find um, that might be generating in the 10 to 13%. So I try not to discount the, the IRR too much, but I do wanna hold over 12% generally speaking, because then I know there's a little bit of buffer room in the event that the property doesn't perform uh, as well as expected. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is once you know the total pro proceeds that you receive, you can also calculate the financial metric that I believe is the second most meaningful after cash on cash. And that metric is the equity multiple. And candidly, I like this metric because it just shows how much money you made in total over and above the investment dollars. IRRs can be a little misleading to me because what happens if you made a 20% IRR? It sounds great on paper, uh, but what happens if you only held that for one year? That would mean that your equity multiple was 1.2X. And so if you put in $100,000, then you're gonna get back 120,000, which is great, but what happens if you have a longer horizon and you made a 15% IRR over a five-year period? In that example, my equity multiple is 1.75x. So if I put in, if I was willing to invest in that property, for me, it's fine if I made more money over a longer time period, even though my IRR was lower. I'd rather hold longer and make more money over that time period personally, but that becomes personal preference as well. I used that above example because my personal goal is to make at least 75% return on my money over a five-year hold. Now, obviously, I'd prefer to double my money or more, but uh, 1.75x is the equity multiple I'm looking for really as a minimum. Now, that doesn't mean that I haven't done deals where I think I'm going to get a 1.4 or 1.5x, but I generally am looking for deals where I'm going to get a 1.75x or greater. Again, in our same example where we received 3.8 million after investing 2 million, that meant that our equity multiple was 1.9x. That means that I received my initial equity back and I received profit in the form of cash flow and upside that was 90% more than my original equity investment. These three factors are extremely important to me in looking through my investment analysis and coming up with the investments that I want to make for myself, my family, and for my companies. To obtain these levels of returns, it is really imperative to come up with a research framework that provides you with guidelines that you believe in and that give you a set of parameters that can be used to ensure discipline from yourself. And for me, I really focus first on investment deals that generate good cash on cash returns because I think of the cash flow partly as my downside protection. I also look for deals that I believe have upside potential through renovation, retenanting, refinancing, better management, repositioning of the asset, 
even looking at opportunities to sell part of the asset. So I look at different strategies that might provide upside potential for us. And then, as I said, one of the things that I really do is I incorporate my investment thesis. So I am looking at both macro and micro level, market level information. I, I analyze markets that I want to focus on. I also work with reputable brokerage shops in the market so they know what types of deals I'm looking for on the direct investment side. Uh, I can look at comps, sales comparables, lease comparables from brokers. It can show me the information to show whether my hypothesis is correct that the lease is in place at a particular property or below market or that I'm buying the property below other sales comparables in the market or that I'm buying the property below the replacement cost, meaning the, the cost to rebuild. And so I'm looking at all of these elements and I'm looking at what my chances are for upside potential in this way. I'm also making sure that the population is, is, is of a certain size and that I see job growth in that market and that I see in migration and that I see crime statistics that are below the state average or below the national average. It's a combination of things that you have to look at to get comfortable with where you wanna be investing. Then I look at the property and see whether there is really truly a way to make money from that property. But one of the things I know for sure is that I need to focus on the return metrics. The financial metrics really are imperative. And having that investment thesis again is a surefire way to ensure that you are doing deals that meet your investment thesis criteria. So they are property types that you want to invest in, in the markets that you want to invest in, and they are getting return levels that make sense based on what you are looking to do. And so on the passive side, I get to know sponsors that are focused on these asset types and geographies to invest in on a passive basis. There, these are deals where I have a desired market to invest in and specific asset types that I've researched that I determine will be strong performers over the midterm. And I usually define the midterm as seven, under seven years, but three to seven years typically. And then I make investments as a limited partner with those sponsors in those properties after doing the research, as long as it meets my financial return metrics. As long as I can believe they can get to a reasonable cash on cash with a good IRR and a good equity multiple. And so I hope you enjoyed this episode here today because understanding the financial metrics are extremely important for your success as a long-term investor. You don't wanna do anything in the investment world just to do it. And so I highly recommend that you get comfortable with these metrics, you learn how to calculate them, and you also put them in your investment thesis so that you're constantly looking at the deals that you would like to be doing. On that note, we are a financial education company. We are not providing advice. We are not telling you what you should be investing in. We do not know your particular situation, and we are strictly here to provide education related to real estate investing ideas and strategies. Thank you very much, and we'll look forward to having you on the next podcast.